Well, we come to Psalm 12 this morning, so please find your copy of God's Word and turn there with me, Psalm 12. When I read this psalm for the first time, I found it to be a bit difficult. Uh, was that your experience? Sort of had a hard time figuring out what the whole of it meant, what was going on in it. And so this morning, I thought we'd go through that process of, of sorting it out. All right. Psalm 12, let's read this together. And then we'll sort it out, learn some lessons from it, and uh, praise the Lord as we, as we worship him through it. Psalm 12, to the choir master, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. That's God's word. So as I sorted through this psalm, one of the first things that I did was I, I saw the people that were involved. And there are a number of people involved in this scene. First of all, the superscript tells us that uh, this is a psalm of King David. So he's involved, and then verse 1, King David is praying to the Lord. Uh, verse 1 also talks about the godly and the faithful ones who are part of the children of man. Now, children of man is actually literally the sons of Adam. Isn't that interesting? The children of man are the large group of all of humanity, and then as part of it, there are the godly and faithful ones. Then verse 5 says that uh, there are the poor who are being plundered, the needy who are groaning. And then verse 8, because the wicked are prowling around. Uh, so the picture here that I sort of got, and, and actually I'm, I'm very visual, so I drew it out on my piece of paper and on a whiteboard in my basement, it's, it's the picture of King David and the Lord sort of off to the side, observing the state of affairs that's going on in the children of man. And more specifically, King David is grieving the condition of God's people among the children of man. You see that in the psalm? King David is grieving the condition of God's people among the children 
of man. And, and so in verse 1, he says, save, O Lord. The word save is just simply help. It's deliver us. King David is praying, save us, O God. And the focus of what's going on in the entire psalm from beginning to end is ungodly speech. Look in verse 2. Lies, flattery, speaking from a double heart. Verse 3, boasting. Verse 5, that ungodly speech somehow plunders the poor and causes the needy to groan and seek safety. From whom? Verse 8, do you see that in the text? The wicked who are prowling around everywhere on every side. So we can imagine some likely scenarios that might be going on there in the ancient Israel. Uh, Maybe wicked politicians are lying by making promises to the poor that they have no intention to keep. You could see how their words would plunder the poor. Uh, Maybe wicked business people are using flattery to lure poor people in into get-rich-quick schemes like our Ponzi schemes or our pyramid schemes. Their words are plundering the poor and causing the needy to even be more needy and groan and look for safety. Uh, Maybe wicked religious leaders, wicked teachers. They're hypocrites as they they instruct the poor to give to the Lord, and then they can't take it for themselves. That didn't just go on back then. That still goes on today, doesn't it? Prosperity gospel all over the world is... Whatever the scenario is, what's clear in this psalm is that the speech of the wicked is plundering the poor and it is grieving the king. And so Psalm 12 is the king's prayer for deliverance from the devastating effects of ungodly speech. The psalm is neatly broken into four parts, and I see a very clear structure. So as I finally got that scene, then I was able to go through and see, oh, okay, I I see four different parts here, neatly two verses each, one and two, three and four, five and six, seven and eight. And the psalm is broken, first of all, into the, the problem of ungodly speech. And then the prayer for deliverance. Look at verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Do you see how he describes the problem in 1 and 2? Lies. Everyone's lying, flattery, double-mindedness and heartedness. And then the prayer for deliverance in verse 3. May the Lord do this. And then the promise of deliverance in verse 5 and 6. Look, the, the, the promise in verse 5, it's the Lord who's speaking. Do you see that in 5 and 6? 
Because the poor plundered the need grown, I will arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. David, I hear you. I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to deliver the poor and the needy. Then it ends with a paradox of deliverance. Verse 7 and 8, a paradox. Look, look there in verse 7. David has a future confidence. I, I know, O oh Lord, you will keep them, that's the poor, and you will guard us from this generation of terrible, wicked people. You will. But then it ends on a sour note in verse 8. Do you see that? On every side, the wicked prowl. So there's this future confidence and hope, but there is a present reality. This is the paradox of deliverance that not only they experienced, but we still experience it. It's the already, but not yet. It's the will, but still. God will deliver us, but we still live under the curse and deal with ungodly speech where the wicked prowl and the poor are plundered and the needy groan. So after I wrote that down in my notes, I re realized it was alliterated and I was both delighted and a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> I used to alliterate everything. I loved Adrian Rogers. You guys like Adrian Rogers? I mean, he's a good preacher and he alliterated everything. And after I was done, I didn't even mean to. And I'm like, hey, that's great. We got the problem and the prayer and the promise and the paradox. I think that thing will fly. We're not actually going to spend a whole lot of time on that structure this morning. But now that we kind of understand this psalm a little bit better, then uh, we now, like I in my study, was able to go back through and really learn some lessons from it. So this morning, we're going to learn four lessons from Psalm 12. And my prayer, friends, is that the Lord will deliver us from ungodly speech. And just so that you can sort of um, set your expectations, the first lesson is going to be much longer than the other three. Lesson number one. Here's what we learn from Psalm 12. Lesson number one. Ungodly speech is a grievous problem. It's not just a problem. It's not just a serious problem. It is a grievous problem. The king is grieving over this. The Lord is grieving over this problem. Now, what's the problem specifically in this text? We noted that it's ungodly speech. Now, here's the real benefit of commentators, because you wouldn't get this if I was the only teacher here this morning. But I have like five teachers that I uh, consult every week. Most of them are old dead guys. But uh, one of them is Derek Kidner. And here's Derek Kidner's explanation of Psalm 12. He says, what's going on here is empty talk. Smooth talk, double talk, and big talk. Isn't that great? Think back through there and in that order. Empty talk is the lies. Smooth talk is the flattery. Double talk comes from the double-heartedness from which we speak. And then the big talk is the boasting. Ungodly speech is a grievous 
problem. Everything in Psalm 12 has to do with communications within relationships. And as Caleb already pointed out this morning, this is every way that we communicate, whether it's verbal or whether it's written, whether it's texted or posted on social media. What a great reminder, Caleb. Thank you. Here in this text, first we see empty talk in verse 2. Look there in verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. How many people utter lies according to King David who's grieving? Everybody. This is pervasive. This is like a viral plague that's going on. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. Lies is actually the word emptiness, from which Kidner gets empty talk. It, it's a, it's a, it means absolutely nothing. It's a falsehood that cheapens and corrodes the relationship. Lying doesn't tell the truth. Lying colors the truth. Often, even usually, to make yourself look good or to keep from looking bad. I remember I really had a problem with this when I was a kid. If I would ever get in trouble, I would quickly try to lie to get out of it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Those are strong words, aren't they, friends? Empty talk. God's people are not to be marked by lies. God's people are to speak the truth. Here's what Ephesians 4 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, there go the lies, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Empty talk. What's going on in this text? Verse 2 is smooth talk. Keep reading. Look, look there. Psalm 12, 2. With flattering lips they speak. My, you look nice today. Is that what it means? No, 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 no. Flattering lips is literally the word smooth. Isn't that interesting? Empty words, empty talk, and smooth talk. Smooth talk, flattery, says whatever's necessary to gain a person's favor so that I can serve my own purposes. Smooth talk. God's people are not to serve our own purposes. God's people are to serve others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talked about smooth talk. This is Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica about their ministry. But you can just imagine how many smooth-talking preachers were around that day because they're still talking and around this day. May it never be so of me, and may God please deliver me from that in this church from it. Paul spoke of their ministry, and he said, We speak 
not to please man. There's the heart of smooth talk. I'm going to please man. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. But speaking about those who do use flattery and smooth talk, Paul said in Romans 16, For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They serve their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That's what we see going on in Psalm 12, don't we? The vulnerable, the poor and the needy, are being abused and suffering. They're being plundered and groaning because of smooth talk. Empty talk, smooth talk. How about double talk? Keep reading. Look at verse 2. With a double heart they speak. Literally in the Hebrew, it's with a heart and a heart they speak. Two hearts. Double heart, which comes out as double talk. The double heart is what gives rise to double talk. And the double talk can be traced back to a double heart. It's hypocrisy. Speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Hypocrisy changes what is said based on the audience. Say one thing to some people, say another thing to others. Why? Often motivated by fear. Fear of rejection. Or maybe a desire to preserve that relationship uh, by not disclosing who you really are. So you speak to some people, maybe your non-Christian co-workers a certain way, and then you speak to your Christian friends another way. Double talk. But James 1, which is a book full of talk about talk, James 1 says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. God's people are to speak to please the Lord. And so, in Psalm 19, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. See that constant connection? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Your friend might not know, but God does. Empty talk, smooth talk, double talk. And then look at verse 3. Big talk. (laughs) Verse 3, the tongue that makes great boasts. Boasting focuses on self, doesn't it? Beats your chest. Look at my status. Look at my abilities. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my position, my power. Here are my plans. It makes much of self. It's the me monster. While we're making much of self, we're not only making little of others, but we're also making little of God. God's people are not to be marked by boasting, but we should be marked by humility and gratitude that everything we have comes from God. 
God's people are only to boast in the Lord. Oh, we can boast, but it's not about us. It's about God. You remember our study in 1 Corinthians? Do you remember 1 Corinthians 1, 26? Where Paul said about the church at Corinth, you remember your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish, weak, low, and despised, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are all in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hey, we can boast, just not in self. We boast in the Lord. Ungodly speech is a grievous problem. Do you see any of these four in your own life? Do you hear them coming out your own mouth? Empty talk, smooth talk, double talk, big talk. As important as that is, as grievous and such a primary focus as that is, that's not the most grievous thing in Psalm 12. Psalm 12 teaches us that vanishing godliness is an even more grievous problem. Not just ungodly speech. The real problem is vanishing godliness. King David is not primarily grieving that the poor and the needy are suffering. King David is grieving over what's causing the poor and the needy to suffer. What's causing it? Look how the psalm starts. Verse 1. Look. The godly have vanished from among the children of man. The godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished. And then it ends. As vileness is exalted among the children of man. As King David and the Lord have a discussion about what's going on in humanity, David grieves over the fact that godliness has vanished and vileness is exalted, and you need to make a direct connection between the two, friends. When godliness vanishes, vileness is exalted. And when vileness is exalted, what happens? The wicked prowl and the poor are plundered. The real serious grief here is the vanishing godliness. And it's revealed by ungodly speech. 
So as we sort through Psalm 12, we recognize that those who are supposed to be godly have what? They vanished. And it's not that they left Israel. It's that they're still in Israel. But guess what? They're not godly. They still claim to be part of God's people, but they're not faithful. And that's evidenced by their ungodly speech in conversations and how they treat other people. They're hypocrites. Oh, they claim to be part of God's people, but their mouth says differently. John Calvin. David does not accuse strangers or foreigners, but informs us that this deluge of iniquity prevailed in the people of God. Edwards. The good man is no more. The faithful are not to be found among the sons of men. He's still looking at Israel. But he says, where have the godly gone? What I hear is ungodly speech. But these people all still claim to be the covenant people of God. That's hypocrisy. We would call them false Christians. That leads us to lesson number two. Ungodly speech is a problem of the heart. Ungodly speech is not just a grievous problem. It is a problem of the heart. As we look at verse 3 and 4, we recognize that everything we say comes from the well of our heart. Our tongues are like a bucket that dip down into the well of our heart and bring up whatever's there. Isn't that right, kids? Can you see that picture? Our tongues are like a bucket that reaches down into our heart and brings up whatever's there. And if what is in our heart is godliness and righteousness and holiness, guess what comes out our mouth? But if what is in our heart is wickedness, then our tongues scoop up what's ever there and bring it out our mouth. And what comes out is empty talk and smooth talk and double talk and big talk. Ungodly speech comes from the heart. Look, look again at verse 3 and 4. I want you to root this in the text. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. There's a picture. <laughs> Yikes. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Those lips and that tongue is merely saying what's in their heart. And what is in their heart, according to verse 4? 
self-autonomy. I don't have a master. Nobody tells me what to say and what not to say. My tongue is mine. Now, nobody actually says that out loud, but many people speak like it, live like it, act like it. Van Gemmeren says, the wicked are not necessarily theological atheists, but they conduct themselves like practical atheists. Their aim is power, and their philosophy is that the ends justify the means. And so, therefore, they use their words to achieve their self-centered purposes, even if it means plundering the poor in the process. The heart behind ungodly speech is a heart of selfishness, pride, and arrogance. Jesus nailed this on the head. You're free to turn there with me unless you just want to listen. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus was speaking to Israel. False, hypocritical Israel. Their leaders known as the Pharisees. I mean, these guys were like, you talk about the cream of the crop of Israel? They were marked by religious devotion and moral purity. To the letter of the law. Here's what Jesus said about them. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of the good treasure, brings forth good. Uh, the evil person, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Friends, we cannot claim to be God's people and speak like ungodly people. Our words reveal our heart. And a pattern of wicked words reveals a cesspool of a heart. Those are not just verbal slips. It's coming from the sewer of our heart. James, that Caleb read earlier, says the same thing, doesn't he? Jesus and James, so closely connected, James says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed. And has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a relentless evil. 
full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James, from the same mouth comes blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not be so. So the question just hangs there. What hope is there to tame the tongue? Lesson number three from Psalm 12. Ungodly speech can only be changed by the Lord's pure word. There's only one hope. To be rescued, to be delivered from ungodly speech. That is the Lord's pure word. Did you notice the emphasis on the word of the Lord right in the middle of this psalm? Isn't that great? And it's not just a contrast. It's not just King David saying, uh, everybody in Israel saying lies, but God, you speak truth. Lord, we're all a bunch of hypocrites with double hearts, but you always uh, say what's right. No, he's not just saying, be like God, moralistic, therapeutic deism. This is not it at all. It comes in the section where the Lord promises to rescue us. <laughs> there in verse 5 and 6. That's the Lord speaking. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him, the needy or the poor, in the safety for which he longs. And then verse 6. What did God just say? He promised to rescue the poor and the needy from the wicked, ungodly speech. Right? I promise I will arise. I will come rescue them. And so then verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. You could put in there the promise that God just made. The promise to deliver is pure, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Man, friends, that's the gospel right there. The words of the Lord are not just opposite of the ungodly. The words of the Lord are his promise to deliver us from the ungodliness that is not just in our community, but is in our heart. The pure words of the Lord tell us the truth about our condition. Isn't that what's going on in Psalm 12? Isn't it telling, it the, telling us the truth about our heart and our words? Yeah. Morality doesn't tell us the truth. Religion doesn't tell us the truth. And neither of those things can cut off the tongue that flatters or the lips that lie. The pure words of the Lord don't just tell us the truth. The, the pure words of the Lord warn us of the judgment that's coming against such wickedness. 
God loves us and wants us to know the truth about the road that we're on and the wickedness that resides in our heart. And the pure words of the Lord don't just expose and warn, but the pure words of the Lord, just like it says here in Psalm 12, promise salvation for who? The poor and the needy. The poor in spirit. Those who need to be rescued. And the pure word of the Lord became flesh. The promise of God to arise from his throne and deliver the poor and needy got up from the throne and took on flesh to save us from our wicked hearts. And the pure words of the Lord give us a new heart so that out of our new heart, changed heart, righteous heart, comes new words, righteous talk, godliness instead of ungodliness. The gospel of Jesus Christ enables us to put off our old self, Ephesians chapter 4, which belongs to our former nature of life and it's corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on a new self which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And right after Paul explains that, one of the next thing he says is this, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. <laughs> put off, be renewed, put on, and one of the first things he does is he says that'll change your speech. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And the gospel will give us a new heart that gives us a new mouth, that gives us new speech. Ungodly speech can only be changed by the Lord's pure words. And so we're called every day to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we can speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and so that we can encourage one another. The word of Christ doesn't just rescue us, it fills us through his spirit. And we come to the end of Psalm 12 in the paradox. We learn the fourth lesson. Lesson number four. Ungodly speech will come to an end, Christian. But until then, it still presents a problem.
God's deliverance is progressive. We're saved. Our status is, say, uh, is changed in an instant. We are made alive in an instant. But sanctification, justification, instantaneous. Sanctification over time. Slowly, but surely. And David ends this psalm by saying a couple of things that he's confident about. Look, look there in verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will keep the poor. You will keep the needy. And you will guard us, the people of God, the true people of God, from what? This generation of vipers, this generation of false Israelites and false Christians. You will keep and you will guard. But until then, verse 8, on every side, the wicked prowl as vileness ex exalted among the children of man. It's the will, but still paradox. God will deliver us. He has delivered us ultimately, but it's still being worked out. So during that still, then we have to not only be patient with one another, but we need to be patient with ourselves. But pressing forward never being comfortable with ungodliness in our lips or in our heart. We ought to grieve the condition of ungodly speech like our king grieves over ungodly speech. But our hope is in the Lord to keep us and guard us and continually, progressively, ultimately deliver us from it. Amen? Amen, friends. Four lessons from Psalm 12. I sort of didn't like it the first time I read it. I sort of like, ah, I got to preach that this week. It's confusing. Man, ungodly speech is a grievous problem, not just out there, but ungodly speech is a grievous problem here. And I want to grieve it like my king grieves it. Ungodly speech comes from my heart and the hearts of those around us. Ungodly speech can only be changed by the Lord's pure promise, His word, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His word made flesh. And ungodly speech will come to an end in my life, in our world, in your heart, in our church. But it's going to be slow. Because while it will, it is still presenting a problem. And I'm glad we have the Holy Spirit of God that just keeps on being patient and sanctifying us, aren't you? Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we pray that you would deliver all of us from ungodly speech. We pray through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would deliver us individually, that you would deliver our church corporately, that you would deliver the church of Jesus Christ nationally and globally so that the godliness of your people is a witness to your glory among the children of man. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good. And it is in the 
name of the godly one, the holy, faithful one, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.